save yourself and personally secede from the insanity of society. Leave the Swamp. Hey guys, welcome back to Leave the Swamp. Uh, you know, it occurs to me that I haven't done a proper origin story, if you will. Like, uh, who is Mal? You know, where does he come from? Uh, you know, where does he come from mentally? Why does he think the things that he does? He being me. Uh, you know, why should I listen to this guy? Well, you know, that the latter part of that, why, why should you listen to this guy? You'll have to make the decision on your own. But I thought I'd take a little time and uh, give you guys an idea of kind of where I'm coming from, you know, how my mind was formed and why, why I'm talking about the things that I talk about here, why I think it's so important for everyone out there to you know, personally to leave the swamp, you know, that whole thing, personally secede from the insanity of society by, you know, saving yourself. You can't save anyone else unless you save yourself first. And I think that uh, my origin story is interesting. Well, it is to me, and it will be to my son and daughter, I guess, at least if, when they're listening to this. Um, maybe to you. You can kind of, maybe you uh, can relate to some of the things, maybe not. Uh, it's interesting how when you go through your life, you know, one decision here or one chance encounter here or one whatever kind of ping pong or ping pongs you to or pinballs you to down another path. Well, you know, the probably the earliest thing I remember uh, about, you know, about something that formulated or, or greatly influenced my thinking uh, and when I say my thinking, you know, one thing about me, uh, you know, Mal here, I've, uh, I've always been, as far as I remember for the most part, uh, someone who's been highly skeptical of authority, authority of any kind, authority of any level. Anyone telling me what to do, uh, I guess, I think it's a natural instinct on my part to question it <laughs> and say, you know, did... I don't know. I mean, does that make sense? You know, I've talked about this before, but uh, to question it and say, uh, does that pass my ain't right meter? You know, do, do I agree with what they're telling me to do or suggesting I do or whatnot? Well, the earliest probably memory I have of doing that was, believe it or not, all the way, I mean, I was old enough, pretty old here, but it was, uh, I guess it was sixth grade. And I was in confirmation class at church. So we always went to a Presbyterian church and that was the grade that uh, we would do our confirmation classes in to become, I guess, official members of the church. And I remember sitting there and they were talking about the concept of hell. And for whatever reason, it just like, it was like a lightning bolt that struck my mind and like opened up that pathway to skepticism, I guess you could say. And, you know, we're talking about you know, what does it mean? You know, unfortunately, I guess, you know, if you don't believe in this guy, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, blah, blah, that you're, you'll die and you won't go to heaven. Uh, you only go to hell. You know, what is hell? Well, a lot of people have different concepts of hell, this, that, and the other. But, you know, the big one, uh, obviously, separation from God, but you're also burning in the lake of fire for eternity or whatever. So I got to thinking about that, and you know, everything. I, what I remembered at that point is everything I heard about how loving God supposedly is. It struck me as odd that 
you know, this God who was so loving would create a scenario where the things that he loved so much, he would send to burn and suffer for eternity. So, you know, I asked the, the teachers, I'm like, well, hold on a second. And I asked them just that. It's like, how could, on the one hand, God be so benevolent and loving, yet on the other hand, he, he could allow this hell to exist. Because you're telling me that God is all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient. So wouldn't that necessarily mean that he created hell and, and he allows hell to exist? So he's okay with people suffering and being tortured for eternity? And there was really no good answer there. It's like, well, you know, I don't know, but you got this option of Jesus. I'm like, well, wait a minute. That to me doesn't seem like a benevolent God or benevolent being. Um, so, you know, I got to, I was just, it made me start questioning and wondering, you know, questioning things there. And then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. You can't really argue against God essentially sanctioning the existence of hell. Then to me, Lucifer or Satan, whatever you want to call, you know, call him, he's actually serving at the pleasure of God. You know, he, he's sanctioned by God to do what he does. Otherwise, why couldn't God, who's all-powerful, just snap his fingers and get rid of him? So he actually exists because God wants him to exist. Yet we're taught that we need to do all these things because we got to fight Lucifer or Satan. So in the end, and essentially, are we not fighting both God and Satan? Or fighting God through Satan because God allows Satan to exist? Never a good explanation. So from that point on, you know, I started thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't know about this about this, you know, this stuff these people are telling me about. And, you know, I, I never got any good answers. To this day, I really haven't got any good answers. I'm almost 40 years old. Because there really isn't a good answer to that. Well, anyway, that was sixth grade going into seventh grade. And, you know, I don't really remember much through, you know, through the seventh through, you know, the high school years about skepticism or anything. But what I do remember is, you know, I've always loved science fiction. And I read a lot of science fiction books during this during that time period. And I think if you love science fiction, in a way, at least somewhere in your brain, you're kind of naturally inclined towards some level of uh, you know wonder, and but also skepticism and critical thinking. You know these type of things because you got to think about things a little deeper. And when you're reading reading science fiction, or if you just love science itself, which I love and loved, you know you got to be that kind of critical thinker about things and, you know, uh, um, test hypothesis, you know, that type of stuff in science. So it, it makes you think about things a little differently. Well, you know, going through uh, that time through high school, you know, I guess that kind of laid the foundation for all that, uh, you know, that kind of thinking. Well, the next kind of major thing that happened was uh, my freshman year of college. And it's kind of funny uh, right now. I'm, I'm actually getting constantly taken back to that time period. Uh, flashbacks, if you will. Because right now what's going on is the uh, Trump impeachment stuff and all that jazz. And uh, the, like, I guess you could call it uh, Milestone 2 that really made me start thinking about things differently was when Clinton was impeached and went on trial. And that's during my freshman year of college. And I started watching a lot of that stuff. Um, I started listening to Rush Limbaugh 
on a daily basis. Uh, you know, at the time, I didn't really know much about anything about politics or anything, but he sounded reasonable. You know, he sounded a lot more reasonable than, uh, you know, anyone on the, the far left side of things, at least at that time. And, uh, you know, so he did a, I think he did a fairly good job of doing an analysis on some things that uh, made you think on your own about them. And when I was listening to him, it made me think, you know, at least I, you know, I didn't, maybe there's a little period in there where I believed everything he said or agreed with everything he said, but then, you know, and I was very close to agreeing with a lot of things he said, but two things happened during this time. Uh, I got fascinated with what the government does to us, you know, via the impeachment trial. I learned all about the federal government and, you know, just government in general. But I also, you know, I also learned, uh, I also got an idea about, um, you know, the difference between, I guess, the parties and partisanship. Not Maybe not the difference between them, but the idea of partisanship. I think that was important at this stage of my thinking about power. Because, you know, obviously, as it's happening now with Trump, it's, Democrats proposing the uh, articles of impeachment against the Republicans. It's very, it's, it's almost down the center or down the line on the partisanship, just like it was in Clinton's uh, time. Um, of course, that's to be expected. Now, in the end, right now, I mean, I don't really believe there's much, much, there's much of a difference between the two parties, but it's just, it's power. You know, one group of people want power over everybody and the other group of people want power over everybody and they fight, fight over it essentially. But in the end, they both do the same things. You know, I didn't really quite realize that then, but I, what I realized was the power of partisanship at the time. So that got me to thinking, well, hold on, you know, here we're presented with two options. Basically, is that the only thing is that, are those the only options, you know, kind of like a false dichotomy, basically Republicans versus Democrats or so-called conservative or so-called liberal or whatever. You know, I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, there's got to be more out there. So the impeachment process kind of really got me going through that. And then when he was acquitted, which was interesting because Clinton, that is, you know, I guess essentially he did lie under oath. He committed perjury. Uh, you know, could that have been grounds to be removed from office? Well, I mean, you know, if you have a guy with that much power and he's, Willing to swear an oath, to tell the truth, and any lies, I don't know that pretty much calls into question not not everything else in his past was standing. The guy's ability to lead, you know, so it kind of made me question. Okay, well, wait a minute, maybe this whole system is screwed up. Well, <clears throat> jumping ahead, and I'm probably gonna miss some things, and as I go through podcasts down the line in the future. You know, we'll, uh, I'll probably address some things that I don't talk about here or re, re or bring up things that I am talking about here. But I skip ahead to, I got a job w during college with uh, my great uncle's company. And at that company, I basically did everything. I was taught to do mo most everything from the menial job on up into the office jobs and whatnot. Well, one of my jobs in the office was sorting through all my great uncle's mail. And filing everything. He, he liked to keep pretty much everything, especially all the newsletters that he subscribed to. So when those things would come in, 
I would set them aside and read them. And I already knew at that point my great uncle was very, he was a pretty eccentric guy. He's very independent-minded. Uh, he pretty much lived his life saying, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want, and I don't care what anyone says. And uh, so naturally you can see where some of these newsletters that he would get were uh, interesting, thought-provoking newsletters. Well, there was one that would come in, and I would read it, and it was a very uh, liberty, libertarian-leaning type uh, newsletter. And I believe in that newsletter is where I found, or they referenced, a website that everyone on here should be reading uh, whenever they have a chance, is uh, lewrockwell.com. And I started reading some articles on there. It's a very libertarian, free market, anti-war website, great stuff. And I got hooked to where I started reading it every day. This is, I guess I was probably 20 years old at this time. Uh, yeah, 20. Uh, 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> so I would read, the, read this website every day. Well, one of the regular contributors to this website was a guy named Ron Paul. So this is, it wasn't, I guess, year 2000. So this is when I learned of Ron Paul. It was in the year 2000. And I found, oh my God, this guy is a congressman. He's in Congress. He's a representative. And he's from Texas. How cool. So I started doing a little more research on him and reading more and more of what he wrote and started realizing, now this guy, this guy right here, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I've known everything he was talking about to be true my whole life. But I, didn't, I couldn't articulate it until I started reading him. And then I started realizing, wow, man, this is really, I think this is really the truth. You know, it's very simple. You know, it's basically, hey, live and let live. You know, don't aggress against someone else and live your life the way you want to live it. Um, that's That appealed to me a lot at that time. And I'd say at that time, you know, I was still listening to Rush Limbaugh, but that would apply these principles back to what Rush was talking about. And, of course, he was very partisan Republican. And the Republicans, I, then I started realizing, you know what, Republicans are pretty terrible too. They're about as bad as the Democrats at this time. That's what I, would, what I thought. And then I would analyze exactly kind of what they were saying and everything. And I, I turned from listening to Rush Limbaugh from the perspective of agreeing with what he said. And it was great to get uh, ref, you know, a refreshment that someone else was saying it to analyzing what he was saying and disagreeing with half of what he was saying. Some things were good, some things were bad. And I would analyze in my head from a libertarian perspective, you know, what he was saying. And uh, I did that for several years, uh, I guess until the probably phase three thing that really changed me and set me off as a hardcore uh, libertarian uh, and anti-war uh, human being, if you will. And that was the September 11th incidents. I don't really call them attacks. I mean, there's a lot of questions around all that crap. I don't want to get into it here, but uh, I think it's becoming a litmus test, though, in my mind. If you ask someone, do you believe everything that the government says exactly happened on that day? If they say yes, then they're probably not a very thinking person. Or one or two, they just don't care, which is fair enough, too. I mean, you don't have to devote any time of your life really to think about it. I don't really guess. But, uh, but if someone's passionate about defending what the government says, then I question their uh, their motives for that. Either they're willfully ignorant 
or, you know, they're an idiot, one of the two. But anyway, not to get off on that. When all that stuff happened, now I remember I was, uh, I got in my car and I was driving to, to class when the, you know, I got in my car, turned it on, driving to class, and the first plane had hit the, already hit the building. So they were talking about it. Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. I was like, holy crap, that's crazy. All right, well, I, I want to see this. So then I got to my class, though. And by the time I got to my class, we all sat down. The professor was late. Uh, then the professor came in and said, hey, we're, we're going to dismiss class right now. Uh, two planes have hit the World Trade Center in New York. And like, you know, like, two. I only knew one was. Had, had happened. And, well, evidently, the second one had hit while we were sitting there waiting for class to start. Well, so, you know, I naturally drove home and watched it all day on the TV with my roommate. It was pretty crazy, you know. And I remember feeling the stirs of, uh, of uh, anger that that had happened and, you know, and believing all the, the uh, garbage propaganda coming in that, it, you know, about Osama bin Laden and these people attacking us and everything. And, you know, I remember thinking, man, this is, we're going to war. This is crazy, you know. I'm like, maybe there's something I can do to help, blah, blah, blah. But... It didn't last very long because luckily I had laid the foundation for my skeptical thinking and it kicked in and I started thinking and learning and listening more and more about that stuff. And luckily a lot of other people were too. So luckily for me, I was exposed to, to that more. And, you know, as the kind of the years went on, as far as that deal goes, you know, now I've come to the conclusion that obviously the official line is not what happened. But we just don't know what really happened. I mean, who knows? But uh, uh, anyway, when all that happened, you know, leading up to the invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, my libertarian leaning and my anti-war feelings, I think, served me well because they started saying, you know, look, the only way, the only justification for invading another country or committing aggression is if you know for a fact they did it to you. Or you're doing it in defense, basically. Well, I started looking and listening to all the justification for why the United States should go into the invade Iraq and invade Afghanistan and everything, and then, yeah, but it never, none of it added up. It still doesn't add up to this day. And really, now we know all of it was a lie. But at that time, I could see through the through the bullshit. I could see through the lies, and that is what is it's my libertarianism skepticism helped me question the claims that the government was making and then it helped me look back on the history and look back on other times and then apply that to now about how the government lies us into wars and i could see that which then just solidified my anti-war nature even more now when i say anti-war i'm anti-aggressive war of course if you got to go to war to defend yourself Pure defense, then not you know you got to do what you got to do. But that's not what was going on here. We were going to invade sovereign countries that had nothing to do with attacking us, and they even dropped that idea before. I mean, they started saying it was to prevent attacks, or they started saying, "Well, it's to fight terrorism around the world and all this stuff." All this mealy mouth bullshit, you know. And I could see through all that because of my quote unquote training the readings and the studying that I had done up to that point. Now, luckily for me, that's that kind of stuff. We're not taught that at all in school anymore. It's almost like it's planned. 
like critical thinking, reasoning is not taught in school anymore. Seemed, like I said, almost as if it's, it was planned and a reason that was taken out of school. So I could look around and I could see the mood of society and people around me and how none of them thought out about it any deeply at all. Whereas like we're, uh, I like one of the ways uh, someone else that everyone should read his work, Doug Casey, likes to explain uh, how people on mass are like a pack of uh, chimpanzees hooting and hollering, hooting and panting, you know, uh, when the government claims, you know, someone's going to threaten us. Well, that's what I started looking around and I could see all, all you know, people around me were like that because of this war and everything, but there's no good justification for it. Now, again, now we know there wasn't, they lied us into it, but of course now, no, there's no ramifications for it. You know, Bush, President at the time, Cheney, none of them are being uh, dragged in and charged with war crimes for it, although they should be. Um, if they were, if we followed the so-called precedent set in Nuremberg, they would be. But anyway, uh, yeah. So around that time frame, you know, I started being started seeing through all that crap. But then that also helped help me focus on everything else the government talks about and claims you know, and saying, you know what, if they can do that, what else are the little things that they lie about, you know, and then why? And then you get to the point where you got to say, okay, well, who's this going to benefit? You know, who's going to get the power out of this thing? Who's going to get the money from this thing happening? You know, this, this legislation happening or whatever. And you start to see all government is, of course, is power over someone else, right? But especially at the federal government, it is the ultimate power. Um, I'll get into that later on in other talks and everything. But anyway, that was what, 2003, now 17 years later, we still have troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, but I just say that to say I focused on reading more, learning more, studying more on these topics, on these ideas for the last 17 years. To where now I, my libertarian skepticism is, uh, is pretty much fully formed. I just need to be able to articulate it out to y'all listening out there and hope that you see, you know, you know, there's hope for you, of course. But if you're listening to this and you even care to listen to this, you probably already think like this. So it might be a little echo chamber stuff here. But... Just, just know, just keep thinking about it. You know, keep uh, keeping your head on your shoulder and keep refining your ain't right meter so that, you know, hopefully it never lets you down in life, you know, or in, in business or whatever. Uh, because there's a lot of BS out there that's thrown your way on a constant basis. I was just listening to a podcast in my truck driving around today. And I, I like to listen to this one uh, atheist uh, podcast where they take callers and they talk to uh, and they're extremely extremely skeptical about almost everything but a very much so in religion and of course the podcast is mainly about religion and everything but what what gets me is when they make comments about things that they should be more skeptical on because they're outright lies example uh Someone, one of the hosts made a comment about, well, what if, you know, you don't have a child and, but that child ends up uh, figuring out a, 
a, a solution to uh, um, climate change. <sighs> well, right then and there, it tells me not, e not even the most ardent skeptic who makes their living in skepticism, about, especially about religion, can't apply that to every aspect of their life. I mean, I guess if you did, you'd go insane. But it doesn't take much effort to really apply any kind of skepticism, do a little work to see how all these models that are out there that claim there's some sort of negative climate change going on that is influenced by humans or that we can actually influence to stop is all bullshit. It's all a lie. You know, to the, up to this point, there's nothing we've figured out that is more powerful than this Earth itself and the sun to control the climate on this planet. And by any legitimate uh, measurement, historical study, the amount of so-called pollution that humans have put out into the planet is so insignificant next to the, the amount of pollution the planet puts out on its own through uh, seismic activity, volcanoes, you know, this type of thing, that it's, it's laughable to think that someone is going to be born to create a solution to the, a so-called problem called climate change. Well, anyway, my point in saying that is got to constantly refine your bullshit meter so you can see through this stuff, you know, at least question it and see if it's true or not. You know, because until you're able to refine your personal BS meter to a point to where it will give you the foundation to be able to save yourself, you know, to, to give you the foundation to be able to look around and find the things, the tools that you need to help save yourself so that you can then maybe save your family and others, um, you know, you're not going to get there until you have that, those tools. So um, right now or any time, you know, good, uh, good way to start, like I said, was uh, you know, start pay attention, paying attention to government uh, talk shows, these type of things, and listen to what people claim. Listen to what these talking heads talk about, what they claim, and say, does that sound about, does that make sense? Does that sound right? Uh, is that really the right thing to do? You know, I always base it, you know, my foundation is, you know, is it... If something is right, then it can't also be a violation of somebody else. You know? So as an example, we talk about, you always hear this, this stupid claim that healthcare is a right. Well, no, it's not. It's just a service with products. That's all it is. No one has a right to any healthcare. You have a right to it if you pay for it. Okay? If it was a right, then that would mean some someone would have to provide it to you. If they have to provide it to you, that means someone's forcing them to provide it to you. If someone's forcing them to provide it to you, then that means someone is initiating aggressive use of force against that person to force them to provide it to you. And if they're doing that, then it's not right for you to take it at all. That means you're benefiting from an aggressive use of force against somebody else, which means you're using force against someone else. So when your fellow human beings all vote together, essentially, to give quote-unquote power to another group of human beings that dress in costumes and call themselves the government, to then turn around and force someone to provide something for you, well, you're no better than the people using the force to do it. You're sanctioning them to do it for you on your behalf. 
that's completely immoral. That's a violation of the non-aggression principle. It's immoral and unethical. So, healthcare is not cannot be a right. Just as an example, well, that's kind of the the method of, of thinking that you got to apply to claims, especially that come from the government, and especially when they claim that it'll be good for everybody or help everybody out, blah blah blah, or it's a right. Whenever you hear the word right, you don't be careful. Immediately put up your your uh, bullshit meter on that one. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so. That's really kind of where I came from. I got lucky uh, when I was young. Maybe maybe I was born with it. Maybe that's where the luck came from. But maybe maybe I was born with it. But I got lucky that it. But that my skepticism and my uh, free thinking, if you will, was uh, was fertilized through uh, you know experiences I had in life. You know, being able to be exposed to different ways of thinking about things. You know, especially I attribute, like I said, a lot of that to. Talking to and working under my great uncle, because he, he was a he was definitely a uh, free thinker, and I like I, I saw that and I like that I like how you know you got to be your own man and believe what you believe and have a reason for believing it. That's one thing he always kind of instilled in me. I would say something and he'd say why you know if you say something you need to have a be able to say answer why like back it up back it up with something that makes sense that's rational. You know, if you don't have any way to back it up, then don't say it until you do, because it's just an unfounded claim until it becomes a founded claim with evidence, or at least with a reasonable explanation behind it. So, yeah, I mean, and, and just really everything kind of going on during this time in, of my life with this idiotic terror war uh, and in the our society going nuts here uh, over being scared about it and everything and us giving up a bunch of our freedoms because of it. I mean, I, I, if I haven't, I will talk about, you know, just the idiocy of example, the security at the airport. However, but just a bunch of sheeple urinating on ourselves because going through an airport and thanking people for sexually assaulting us. I mean, we've become a society in this country, especially the United States of you know, it's the land of the of the enslaved and the home of the scared is really what it's what we've become here, which is really sad. You know, if we're truly the land of the home of the land of the free, home of the brave, then when September eleventh happened, we wouldn't have done anything. We wouldn't have changed anything. We wouldn't have made airport security more. We would have said as a people, we ain't gonna allow that shit to happen on an airplane anymore. You know, sure. All they needed to do was put the locked doors to the cockpit on there. And then, hey, you go to get on an airplane, everyone knows that we're all the security on this airplane. Because we not, none of us want to die. So we'll all band together to make sure that we don't. And make sure the terrorists know that. You know, you allow guns on an airplane. You know, it, it's a proven fact that where guns are banned, more shootings happen. More people die from that stuff. Where there are known concealed guns, it happens much less. Or if it does happen, then that shooter is killed pretty damn quick. You, know, you can't ever protect against any insane idiot. You know, there's no way to possibly do it. But what you can do and what they have done is violated everyone else's rights. You know, claiming that they're protecting us. And we've gone along with it. 
So I think I've been lucky also to live through this period where this has happened because going into it, I had the skeptical view and now I see it happening. And it's so blatantly obvious. With a little study of history, you can see what's going on now is no different than periods in the past. The decline of an empire, the decaying of an empire from within. An empire only destroys itself, only, only is destroyed by destroying itself from within. And that's what we're doing now. Now we're in this amazingly insane and ridiculous era of low, virtually zero going into negative interest rates, massive money printing, massive debt, massive borrowing. The, essentially the bankrupt, bankrupting of our entire kind of society that uh, we're living in an interesting time right now, but it's no different than a lot of times that have happened in the past. So 20 years from now, uh, hopefully many more podcasts from now, you know, uh, we can look back on this episode and say, yeah, well, we made it through, uh, but our skepticism, our ain't right meter, our thinking for ourselves allowed us to save ourselves. And in doing so, that allowed us to save those we love around us. And then as an extension, maybe more beyond that. You know, one, one thing I want to talk about in the future is this whole, you know, beyond personally seceding, you know, from the insanity of society. What about groups seceding from these governments that exist? Hell, even whole states seceding from the United States. I think it's going to become a trend. You know, but maybe what it will take is more like-minded people kind of moving together in areas than doing it versus trying to convince all the, the people sucking at the tit to do it in your area. But then again, most uh, major changes throughout history have been done by, you know, what, 10% of the population. So it doesn't take that much. We'll get there. Uh, but, you know, that was kind of a quick overview of uh, my origin story, if you will. Um, I'll get into more detail about it later. Uh, maybe I'll tell a story of what my thoughts were when I was working in a commercial bank during the crisis, you know, which helped solidify my thinking about money and you know what's what happened then and I, what I believe is going to happen at some point in the future. But anyway, I'm going to cut it off there. It's a little over 30 minutes. And uh, we'll get back about uh, with something else. Uh, love you, my childs. Uh, Children, if you will. <laughs> Can't speak English, I guess. Uh, and I will talk to y'all later.